0: Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today.
1: Years after Donald Trump left the White House, he still has a really tight grip on Republican politics. Candidates either support him or risk angering his base, and the big lie, which claims he actually won the 2020 presidential election, has become a kind of litmus test. So is this what the party will be ever after, or is there a way for Republicans to shake Trump? and his toxic politics. We're going to discuss today and hear from you next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. It's been two years since former President Donald Trump left the White House, and it was quite a four year period that led to his exit from the presidency. While he was president, Trump used the office as a way to make money for his businesses. He passed a tax policy that helped the wealthiest among us get even wealthier. He created a border policy that was intended to be as cruel to immigrants and especially brown immigrants as possible. And even before he entered office, he degraded Jews, African Americans, Latinos, women, all kinds of Americans who he just didn't think quite measured up. And, of course, on his way out of office, he almost created a coup inspiring the January 6th attack on Congress as they were trying to certify the 2020 election. And then he helped spread the big lie that somehow Joe Biden had not fairly won that election in 2020. You'd think With that kind of record, Republicans would be eager to move on, maybe even forget about that previous four-year period, find somebody else who, I don't know, might compile a different record. But despite the fact that Donald Trump is out of office, his legacy has absolutely not passed. It's very much with us right now in the present. Most Republican voters, polls show, still support the big lie, and a lot of Republican leaders do, too. And those who don't support it are either leaving office or deciding not to run. If you look around, you find that there are lots of people still espousing, still supporting the things that Trump said and stood for. So what is it about this guy that people seem to like so much? I think it runs a lot deeper than policy preferences. I think people love Trump for who he is, for some of what he represents, at least in their minds, and for his promises to punish people he sees as his enemies— and that many Americans also see as their foes. In a lot of cases, that's just other Americans, by the way. He's not talking about foreign enemies. Trump is pitting his supporters against us. Liberals, progressive Americans. I think Donald Trump also has kind of a magic effect on some of his supporters. A lot of them are people who don't feel like they're getting a fair shake out of life in America. They don't feel heard. They don't feel seen. And those are feelings that are common not only to Republicans and Trump supporters. Think about people on the far left. A lot of them don't feel heard or seen either. And Trump's brand of politics, his populism, his aggressiveness, those are things that for a lot of Americans in rural America, in suburban America even, those are things that are really, really appealing to people. It gives them a voice in a politics that they feel estranged from. In a country, they increasingly feel is not giving them the same opportunity that it used to. Gunnar Raymar is the political director for the national nonprofit Republicans for the Rule of Law. We have him here with us today. To ask him about this phenomenon, why is Donald Trump so popular among Republicans still two years after he lost reelection to the presidency? And what would it mean for Republicans to leave him behind, to move on and reshape the party around maybe another figure or at least another set of principles? How hard will that be? How long will that take? And is it even possible, given the unbelievable influence that Trump continues to exert? That's where we begin the conversation this week on Detroit Today. And I'm pleased to welcome Gunnar Raybar to Detroit Today. Hey, welcome to uh, the show. It's great to have you
2: here. Thanks for having me. Yeah.
1: So an article in The Atlantic by your colleague, Sarah Longwell, says Trump is popular because of a, quote, tribal pose. I thought it was a really interesting phrase to use. So what is that and what kind of identity is he tapping into there?
2: Yeah, so we do Sarah Longwell's executive director of the Republican Accountability Project. And we do focus groups with Trump voters all the time. And the one thing uh, that is very clear is that they believe uh, the election was stolen from Donald Trump. And, you know, when we press them, they're like, and we ask them, so how was it stolen? Like, what is your proof? They don't really have a lot of evidence, because, of course, the election was not stolen from Donald Trump. Joe Biden is the legitimate president of the United States. But they almost, but they take the stance about it. And, you know, we press them. what do you like about Trump? Do you still want him to run? And an overwhelming majority, as we see in the polls too, and these focus groups shows that they want Donald Trump to run again. And even the voters that say, you know what, I don't want Trump to run again, it's not that they don't like Donald Trump or that they don't want him to be the leader of the party. No, they think maybe he's a little bit too old or the Democrats stole the election from him, so they need someone that can win. But they overwhelmingly support Donald Trump. And we ask them, you know, what other parts of Donald Trump do you like? And immigration comes up a little bit, which you alluded to. Trade comes up a little bit. Uh, they say they like his policies, but we push them on it. And, you know, the main response is, we like the America First agenda. And, you know, look at what the 2020 RNC platform was. It was like, we support Donald Trump and that's it. So the the need for some sort of detailed policy platform or anything like that is just not relevant uh, for Donald Trump. He does not need that.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you as you say are talking with people who believe the 2020 election was stolen i want to drill down on that a little bit it's 2 years later there have been i think hundreds of audits performed on that election in many different states all of the claims that have been made about uh False votes or stolen votes or any of the ideas that people who believed this came up with. They've all been addressed and refuted. So what is it about this that is still appealing? This is the most powerful question right now being asked in political races all over the country, including the one here in Michigan uh, for governor in the fall. Do you believe that the 2020 election was stolen? If you say yes, uh, you are are more likely to get, I think, the Republican nomination here than than not. If you say no, you might be out. How is that possible given all the things I just said?
2: So the election was stolen is a very animating issue among Republican primary voters. And I also want to talk about a recent study that came out that among GOP activists, the people that are part of party committees that run the state party, things like that, that support for Trump has replaced holding traditional hardline conservative values. And no matter how conservative you actually are, like your voting record or something like that, if you do not support Trump, you are not seen as ideologically conservative. And the state of Michigan is a great example of this because who got the GOP nomination and is going to win their August 2nd primary in Michigan? Christina Caramo, who came out of nowhere, is a complete stop-the-steal, Trump-endorsed candidate. Matt DiPerno running for attorney general. It is an animating issue, not only among Republican primary voters, but also GOP activists. And yes, with a, prime, a Republican primary electorate, that is right now... What's going to help you win uh, these primaries? Mm -hmm. Um, I want to
1: talk about the people who are falling into this category and and, and supporting this. Uh, I I talked in the open about not just uh, their affinity for Donald Trump, but the power that I think they feel they draw from him. This idea of being heard, this idea of being seen, I've spent a lot of the last six years really trying to talk uh, with, with people who voted for Donald Trump, uh, especially people here in southeast Michigan. Um, and there is this sense that you get from them, this feeling that he, he cares about them, that he wants to help them. And, of course, that he wants to punish the people that they blame for the things that are going wrong in their life. There is something about that quality that is really different from other politicians. Even Barack Obama on the the, the, the opposite side of the political spectrum. I, I, I don't feel like he had quite that animating effect on most of his supporters Now I mean some people obviously African Americans I mean we were extremely uh, excited by and 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 loyal to uh, Barack Obama but I don't know that I've seen that um, in too many other politicians um, the way I've seen it with with Trump so so talk just a little about why that's true and how that plays into the difficulty. That other Republicans are having, um, you know, talking about policy or talking about anything else other than Trump himself.
2: Yeah, I, I think that it's a really interesting point when you talk about voters being able to be heard, because what Donald Trump was able to do in 2016, in 2020, in places like Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, is turn out a new coalition of Republican voters. I mean, there is a significant amount of Obama 2008, Obama 2012, Trump 2016, and Trump 2020 voters and Donald Trump was able to tap into that. That being said, while Donald Trump has been able to appeal to this new coalition that includes some traditional Republicans and new white working class voters, is he has turned off a significant amount of right-leaning college-educated suburban voters that decided the election for Joe Biden in swing states across the country, including in Michigan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is a political realignment going on. Trump has tapped into something, but on the other hand, he's lost these right-leaning college-educated suburban voters and ahead of 2022, ahead of 2024, we will see how those, if there is any backsliding among these suburban voters, uh, because they are a crucial segment, even if it's not a huge segment of the voting electorate.
1: And and so the problem, though, is that in order to win a primary, let's stick with the state of Michigan, um, you, you have to you have to pledge allegiance almost <laughs> to an awful lot of what Donald Trump stood for and and again you got to you've got to deal with this ridiculous question about who won the 2020 election but then when you get to the general election uh, as you point out y- you have to hold a pretty broad coalition together in order to win statewide there aren't enough of these voters who are so devoted to Donald Trump to win we saw that We've seen that actually every time he's been on the ballot, right? 2016, he didn't win the popular election. I mean, he, he was only able to become president because of the Electoral College. In 2020, that dynamic was worse for him. He lost the popular vote by even more. So if you are the Republican Party or if you're a, a Republican office holder or a Republican office seeker, what, what, what are you supposed to do? Uh, how can you play either both sides of that or split the middle uh, in a way that that actually gets you a chance to to win and to govern?
2: I think this is a great question and why 2022 is so interesting. So traditionally, in previous elections, you know, typical – you run to the right in the primary, and then you pivot for the general election. But what is different to me about this 2022 primary, and Michigan is no stranger to this, is that these candidates are running so far to the right. Actually, and you know, it's unfair to say to the right, it's just Trump word, like to whatever Trump wants. Mm -hmm. But these people are running so much to Trump that I think it's going to be much more difficult for a traditional pivot to the middle to happen with these candidates and why, even though I think, 2022 is a favorable year for Republicans in a couple of these key races, especially the gubernatorial race, secretary of state race, AG race, that candidate quality matters. And if Republicans are going to nominate a bunch of crazy stop the Steelers uh, in the primary, that they are not going to get the kind of coalition that would be possible if a much more traditional Republican was running. And, you know, we do focus groups with flippers, too. So that means they voted for Trump in 16 and they voted for Biden in 20. Mm. And they cannot stand the downplaying of Jan 6, spreading COVID, you know, anti-vaccine conspiracy theories and saying the election was stolen still. So that is why one of the things I'm watching closely as these people run to the right or run Trump word, how are they going to try to pivot back in a way that's never had to happen before? Because they are running as a Trump candidate so much right now. Yeah.
1: I'm talking with Gunnar Raymer, who is political director for Republicans for the Rule of Law. It's a national nonprofit. Uh, his colleague, Sarah Longwell, recently wrote an article in The Atlantic titled, Trump supporters explain why they believe the big lie. We're talking right now about Donald Trump and the effect, the hold he still has on Republican voters and as a result on Republican Politics. Uh, we want to hear from you during this conversation uh, as well. Are you a supporter of the former president, Donald Trump? Uh, do you have f- friends or family members who are his supporters? Uh, why do you think he's still relevant in our politics two years after he's left the White House? Uh, why do you think other candidates try to be more like him? Uh, do, why do you think that uh, the primaries that we're seeing here? in uh, the state of Michigan in 2022 are so affected by whether Donald Trump supports a particular candidate and whether all of the candidates on the Republican side, at least, believe this lie that uh, says that he actually won the 2020 presidential uh, election. We also want to hear from you if you're somebody who maybe supported Donald Trump in 2016 or 2020 and have now changed your mind. Uh, have now decided that either the party needs to move on to, to something else or someone else, or that uh, Donald Trump did something or said something uh, that you found uh, untenable, uh, something that you didn't feel like uh, you could any longer uh, support. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313 577 one o one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. Let's start today with Jerry in Detroit. Jerry, what's on your mind?
3: Um, first of all, good morning, Stephen and Gunner.
1: Hey, good morning.
3: Um, I think um, what I think what um the reason the, the reason um particularly white people are attracted to Donald Trump was because he tapped. Into what I think is uh, white America's, white conservative America's hatred of the first black president, Barack Obama, and um, another part of the reason is that they like his personality and demeanor, because they seem to think that um, that his um, the the way he um, comports and carries himself is normal behavior for a president. You know, he comes off as um, very. cocky and foul-mouthed and braggadocious, and um, what he's done is that he's tapped into the attitudes of a certain type of conservative, sort of blue-collar, Archie Bunker type of white male, mm. the kind of white male who hates those who aren't aren't himself, and um, um, that's the kind of person that's attracted to someone like Donald Trump, and mm. I was wondering if, if, if Gunner has an opinion on that about what... About white people's hatred of um, of black people and how Donald Trump tapped into that.
1: Sure, uh, uh, Jerry. There, there's no question that race plays a significant role in uh, not only Donald Trump's popularity but the timing of his popularity. In other words, I think if Donald Trump had run for president ten years earlier, um, it might have looked very different than it did uh, with him running after. Barack Obama, the first black president, had served eight years uh, in the White House. So uh, Gunner talk about the role that race uh, and gender in fact um, uh, play in in Trump's power and his popularity.
2: Yeah and you know as I said earlier, Trump was able to tack uh, you know tap into a political coalition that we hadn't really seen before. Uh, but I will say it is interesting the amount of people that did vote for Obama in 2008, Obama in 2012, but then decided to vote for Trump in 2016 and Trump in, uh, in 2020. And, you know, race played into, you know, the 2020 election. Uh, I think that a lot of this right-leaning college age suburban voters who support our organization could not stand uh, how Donald Trump handled, you know, the Black Lives Matter protest uh, over George Floyd being mort- murdered and, and things like that and his handling of race and covid and all the things in 2020 turned off that suburban educated uh suburban college educated right leaning independent voting block.
1: Yeah. Um when we talk about white males and their attracted or their attraction to uh, Donald Trump. I mean, there's no question that that's uh, the, the the sort of core, I think, of of his base. But we should also talk about white female voters and the role that they played first in his election in 2016, and then in uh, the election that he lost in, in 2020. Uh, white women supported Donald Trump uh, overall. Uh, and, and we don't talk as much about why that was true and how that changed over the four years that he was in office.
2: Yeah, that's right. You Note know, that one of the most interesting data points that came out of the 2020 election is that one of the voting blocks, now a majority still supported Donald Trump, but one of the voting blocks that actually shifted most to Joe Biden was, you know, leading up to the 2020 election, everybody thought it is going to be uh, college educated suburban women and moms that are going to move the most to Joe Biden because they're turned off by Donald Trump. And actually, the group that moved the most to Joe Biden from Donald Trump was married men and uh, households where there were veterans. So I want, that is one of the most interesting data points to come out of the 2020 election.
1: OK, when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about Donald Trump the Republican Party, uh, and where things are headed with uh, those two interests. We're going to keep Gunnar Raymer with us and add another voice to the conversation, uh, Sheikha Dalmia, who's a visiting fellow with George Mason University's Mercatus Center. Uh, she has a substack called The Unpopulist. Uh, she has been writing an awful lot about uh, these primaries that were uh, in the middle of as in the 2022 election cycle and the effect that donald trump has on the republican party in those elections uh stay with us stay with us on the phones uh, Franklin and lavonia daniel in detroit we'll get to you next if you want to join them 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones we'll be right back with more detroit today
3: bringing you news that matters
2: stories that impact your life
3: music from the Motor City and around the world this is
1: 1019 WDET
3: Detroit's NPR station
1: you're listening to Detroit today on 1019 WDET I'm Stephen Henderson as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest right now is Gunnar Raymer. He is political director for Republicans for the Rule of Law, a national nonprofit. I also want to welcome another voice to this conversation. Sheikha is a visiting fellow with George Mason University's Mercatus Center. She has started a new program to study and resist the rise of right-wing populist authoritarianism around the world and here in America, you can follow her work on her Substack called "The Unpopulist." Shika, welcome back to Detroit today.
4: Thanks for having me, Stephen. It's been a while.
1: Yeah, and it has been a while since we talked, but it does seem that this is what we talk about every time you come on the show now. Because what else is it? <laughs> it is the narrative uh, in in the GOP. Um, so I, I want to start by putting. Uh, your work in some context, and uh, talking about the context that your work puts Trump in. Uh, again, you've been studying the rise of right-wing populist authoritarians. This is not something that's unique to America. Uh, and Trump fits into this, I guess, uh, this this context of other strong men and women uh, who uh, who are resisting democratic... Um, impulses and institutions and and attacking them. Uh, Let's talk about first what makes these people popular right now um, and why people are attracted to them.
4: Right. I mean, so Trump was a little bit of a latecomer to this game of uh, rising populist authoritarianism. Before him, Modi got elected, Narendra Modi got elected in um, uh, 2014. Erdogan in Turkey, Bolson—I'm sorry, um, Orbán—in Hungary, a CPAC is even as we speak having its conference uh, in Hungary's Orbán, who, by his own admission, wants to turn the country into an illiberal democracy. So it's one of these stunning developments that the GOP is cowtowing and actually taking inspiration from. Uh, you know, an avowed authoritarian. Um, so yeah, so but Trump was a little bit of a latecomer to the game. Why is this populism? You know, what is the appeal of populist authoritarianism? Everywhere, if when you look at it, it's a movement of majoritarian grievances and resentments. Uh, these grievances build up over a period of time. Sometimes they are real. Sometimes they are not real. But some strong man will come along and whip them and mobilize them, figure out a way to give them political traction and turn them to his advantage or her advantage. And um, so that's kind of like what's happened everywhere. If you look at India you know, which is where I'm originally from, uh, Prime Minister Modi has convinced Indians, you know, that they are the victims, that uh, that minorities are too strong, that the country has been appeasing them, the Muslims and the Christians, for a long time, uh, to the detriment of the Hindu majority. Orban um, uh, has been saying something very similar. He's standing up against LGBTQ, and uh, people and immigrants. And Trump had a very similar message, right? He launched his campaign uh, by slamming Mexicans as uh, rapists and criminals and suggesting that uh, they were changing the United States culturally as well as economically in a way that was disenfranchising the white majority. Um, So that's like a huge element of uh, where they come from. The other thing that they do is that they, uh, you know, populist politics always needs a villain. It's a very Manichaean us versus them kind of politics where somebody is the bad guy and there are usually two candidates. They are either the rich people or the immigrants. If usually left-wing populists focus on the rich people, uh, right-wing populists typically focus on the foreigners. And at this moment, I mean, in the past, and even in the United States, you have movement, you've had movements of left-wing populism. But what we are witnessing right now is a movement of right-wing populism that's very much focused on the other, the foreigner. Uh, you know, they are the ones that are being scapegoated uh, for the problems of the, um, of, uh, the, the majority population.
1: Mm. And, uh, Chika, what are we to make for instance here in Michigan of the grip that this has this this philosophy and um, the person who has become the vessel for that philosophy in our country that, that that it has on republicans you worked here as a journalist in Michigan for for many years uh, the, the a lot of the the dynamics and the names uh, and the issues are are familiar to you um, have you ever seen anything like the Republican primary for governor, for instance, this year? Have you ever seen anything like the GOP convention that nominated uh, candidates f- for secretary of state and attorney general um, who, who I mean, are as far right as you could imagine, but but also who are um, so heavily influenced by the big lie? Uh, and by lots of other falsehoods that uh, that Donald Trump has, has propagated.
4: Yeah, no, it is a really quite remarkable, right,
1: that uh, uh,
4: the, the Republican Party should have gone this extreme. Uh, there used to be responsible, sober adults among conservatives, right? I mean, I worked for the Detroit News editorial page for a long time, as you well know, which was a conservative page. I was, you know, they mostly during the Engler years, and you could uh, di- agree or disagree with a lot of their policies. But there was a certain baseline of, um, you know, decency and honesty that was expected among Republicans. All, that, all of that has gone out of the window, and this too, in some ways, is classic populist politics, right? What a populist strongman wants is, not fealty to the party, but the party to be, you know, loyal to him. Mm-hmm. He re- he makes the party in his own image. The party becomes an extension and embodiment of the, you know, of the of the demagogue, and that's kind of what Trump has done to the Republican Party. Not just in Michigan, but you know, everywhere. I mean, if you look at the Pennsylvania gubernatorial race, mm-hmm. you know, the Republican uh, nominee nominee is Doug. Uh, Mastriano, who is an extreme candidate, you know, engages in the big lie, um, uh, is um, four squares behind Trump's whole stolen election campaign. He's all in with the MAGA agenda. And uh, so that's part of what populist politicians do, is they remake the party in their own image, and that's clearly happened in Michigan. Now, I do have to say that in Michigan, you still have some pretty you know, responsible rump establishment types still there who are trying to, behind the scenes, navigate the party in the right direction. Um, So, you know, you saw that uh, in the race, uh, in the special election, Uh, with carol uh, glanville and r.j reagan right where uh, r.j reagan lost in a district that trump had won very very decisively so there you know so it's not to say that there are some response some rump responsible voices in the gop and even in the michigan gop that are trying to do the right thing but it's pretty clear that the energy is not with them
1: Mm. Mm. Uh, We're talking about Donald Trump and the influence he still has over Republican politics. Uh, We want to hear from you during the conversation. uh, Call and tell us, are you somebody who supports the former president, Uh, still believes in the things he said and did when he was president, in the things that he now says Republicans ought to be doing and uh, pursuing? Um, give us a sense of whether you are someone who considers themselves a conservative or a Republican and is maybe uncomfortable with Donald Trump and his influence over the party. Give us a sense of what you want to do. How do you think uh, the party can reclaim itself from his brand of uh, politics? Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313 577 1019. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter and put comments there, and we can work you into the conversation. I want to read a couple of social media comments. Uh, The the Wine Dude on Twitter says, It's become the party of Trump. Moderates are banished and held to less than 40% of the vote. Uh, Carrie on Twitter says, Based on my extended blue-collar family, Trump acts just like them when they get together for their keg parties. The racism victimhood and owning the libs it's all they do it is tiring and overwhelmingly stupid uh they are not going to change a pretty dismal outlook there from uh from carrie let's go next to the phones to, to frank in livonia frank welcome to the show
0: hey uh good morning Stephen. um you know i i'm you know I'm a, I'm a pretty conservative type of uh person and uh you know trump is you know i look at all these things as like a consumer driven thing you know uh Trump did not make this, you know, the uh, the consumers, the voters made Trump. And he, you know, like the other callers said, he's a master of manipulating the marketing. He knows what to say and how to bring this, co- you know, this coalition of uh, supporters to him. Uh, you know, the other thing about the, the so-called big lie is that if you it's really kind of turned inside out when they say it was stolen. It was more like it was taken. I think a lot of people feel that the, uh, the country is being taken, you know, just like a bully you know, took your lunch in school, Stephen, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's just, you know, they take it from you. It's not really stolen. Mm -hmm. They just took it. You gave it up because you couldn't stand up to them. So, uh, you know, so I think that there's a there's a there's a slight difference in the way that uh, we perceive it as 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 stolen or as being taken. And of course, we hear a lot about that replacement thing. And and, you know, and that that in itself is true, too. You know, I mean, the 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 demography of the country is changing. It is changing. But it is not being run by, uh, you know, uh, Jewish Kabul and, or, you know, Hollywood or anything like that. It is actually changing. So what they're saying, what their people are seeing is, in fact, true. Hmm. Uh, I mean, the white white people are being replaced. I mean, it's just... Well, <laughs> I mean, the, they, 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 <laughs> the,
1: comp- the country is becoming browner, uh, and it has been for a long time. And, uh, you know, I mean, the demographic projections say that uh white americans will no longer be a majority uh, by 2050 that's just that's just 30 years uh, from now so uh, to that extent well i think you're right yeah go uh, ahead Chica.
4: yeah so a couple of points to that uh you know first of all let me just say your previous uh, caller or commenter who said uh in her family there is this great deal of like uh, you know sentiment of owning the libs that really cannot be underestimated in the republican party Uh, the preoccupation with the leftist enemy is a huge part of what is driving the Trump movement. That was a big part of his appeal, that he was this no-holds-barred attacker of the Democrats and the left, right? So that really can't be underestimated. As for uh, um, uh, the demographic replacement... There have been changes in the demography. That is true, but there is a whole lot of thinking. And you know, sarah Ruckstuck- he's the Democratic uh, poly- uh, operative, and he is the one who popularized this majority minority pieces. That you know, by 2014, whites are going to be a minority, and the various minorities are going to be a majority. And that actually, there are two problems with that. One that That has been getting a lot of pushback lately, and even Rux has taken back, uh, you know, that hypothesis of his, that because the country is becoming more minority, the Democrats will have an automatic lock on it. For one, the demographics are actually not so clear, partly because this is sort of like, you know, an age-old phenomenon in the United States people who are not considered white yesterday become whites of tomorrow. Happened Mm. with the Irish, happened with the Italians. And it is happening actually to a very large extent with uh, Hispanics too. Um, uh, You know, that as they become assimilated, they take on very uh, sort of white cultural traits. And they actually self-identify as white. So so that majority-minority thing is a little bit in dispute right now. And second of all, um, you know, it's uh, demography is not destiny. Repu- uh, uh, immigrants and brown people vote for Democrats because Republicans have not really offered them anything. Sure. You know, if you are all you are going to do is slam a people and call them rapists and criminals, you cannot hope to get their vote. So if the Republican messaging changes, right, there is no reason that they cannot make inroads in the brown population, so to speak. Let me just point out to you that when George Bush ran for the first time, he got 72 percent of the Arab uh, vote in Dearborn. Uh And that's because he ran on this platform against secret evidence in immigration deportation hearings, right? So, democracy is not destiny, and this is a trope that, in fact, I think, uh, you know, Republicans and the Trumpists have popularized to whip up white anxieties, which are not entirely based in reality. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Uh, the other thing that's true is that as the country becomes browner, um, more of those people um, bring their own politics to... Uh, overlay over over our own and look there are there are conservative people from all over the world uh they will become the conservatives right uh in our country and the immigration issue um will will kind of fade into the background i think as as the demography changes uh, and then it will be about other issues where they find themselves more in concert with other uh, conservative voters Uh, okay we need to take another quick break but when we come back we're going to continue this conversation with both Gunnar raymer and chica dalmia and you on the phones phyllis and warren daniel in detroit we'll try to get to you next if you want to join them 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones we'll be right back with more detroit today I'm Steven Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guests, our guests right now are Gunnar Raymer, who is political director for Republicans for the Rule of Law, a National Nonprofit. Also Sheikadami, a visiting fellow with George Mason University's Mercatus Center. Uh, she has a substack called The Unpopulist. We're talking about Donald Trump and the grip that he still seems to have over Republican politics, uh, not just nationally, but especially here the state of Michigan, where we are seeing him shape the field for uh, our elections this fall on the Republican side. Uh, We want to hear from you during this conversation about what you think of the influence he still has two years after leaving the White House over uh, the GOP. Also, if you're somebody who's not enthusiastic about that, tell us what you think the party can do uh, to move in a different uh, direction. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313- 577-1019. Five seven seven one zero one nine. 1019 You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter, the comments there, and we'll work into the conversation. Gunnar Raymer, I want to give you a chance to respond to what Chica Dalmia was talking about before uh, the break uh, about demography and um, the, the, the browning of America, our, our caller, frank says that this is the um this is the fear that donald trump is uh, is legitimately tapping into the, among among white voters
2: yes and the one point i want to make and it's a fantastic point about demographics not being destiny is the one state i am really watching in the general election in 2022 is nevada and the reason why is there are a bunch of competitive congressional seats there's a competitive gubernatorial race and a competitive senate seat and, you know, Adam Laxalt, who's Trump endorsed, he just recently launched Latinos for Laxalt. And I am closely watching how the Hispanic vote, especially around, you know, white working, white or working class Hispanic voters around Las Vegas and how much they are shifting to the Republican Party. We've already seen it during the 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 turnout numbers we saw in the Rio Grand Valley in Texas. So uh, Nevada is one of the states I'm watching closely uh, in terms of demographics, but also shifts uh, between political coalitions and political realignment with Hispanic voters. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Let's go back to the phones here. Uh, Daniel in Detroit. Daniel, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thanks for
5: having me on again. You know, I seem to have a lot of opinions about what you guys are talking about, and I love the show. Um, You know, Donald Trump won the White House um, by uh, orchestrating a, you know, campaign that was second to none. He came right out of the gate galvanizing all of the voting support in the southern states by insulting the Mexicans coming across the border. With that one statement, he galvanized hundreds of thousands of votes from all of those states, from all of those people that are tired of dealing with all these crowds of people coming across the border. He did the same thing with the coal factories and the coal miners. He did the same thing with the veterans when he told them that he was going to get them better health care and better support. He did the same thing with the auto workers. Mm. You know, he kind of did. There's a couple good things that Donald Trump did, okay? I'm an independent voter. I vote on both sides. He woke the world up to China and the evil ways of China. He stopped Huawei from dominating telecom services around the world, mm. probably singly stop them by his statements. He, um, You know, I kind of agree that people should not be walking into this country. His methods were a bit extreme, but look what's going on down there right now. People should not just be flooding into this country and something should be done about it. You know
1: So so Daniel Calvinized- so Daniel I I want to I want to push a little bit on on where you stand then. Um are, are you voting for for candidates who who in those same kinds of ideas that 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 Trump did or are you saying that you know um it's all gone too far and that uh, you need to go in a different direction?
5: Oh, it's definitely gone too far. You know the man has has been confirmed. What is it? Over thirty thousand lies and mistruths. This is why we need like a social meter next to the name. When the media puts up Donald Trump's name, there should be a social, uh, uh, some sort of social metric right next to his name every time it appears on the screen, that shows you that he's told thirty thousand lies. How can a person tell thirty thousand uh, mistruths and lies, and then on his way out of office, tell the biggest one of all, and have so many people believe it. <laughs>
1: right, right, uh, Daniel. I, I I really appreciate the call and the the kind of thoughtful approach you're you're, you're taking uh, there, Gunnar Raymer, That that is part of the problem. Is you know, look, Daniel's saying, hey. I think he did some good things, Uh, and I don't agree, Uh, and I think a lot of liberal voters don't agree, but there are conservative
2: voters who like some of what he did. Yeah, that is. This is exactly what we were talking about at the top of the show is that Daniel was someone who said Trump did some good things, is probably a little bit frustrated with the Biden administration, but guess what? He's an independent voter, um, right-leaning, but he cannot stand Donald Trump's big lie. And all these candidates are running these Trump-like campaigns. And when they try to pivot back to the center, I think people like Daniel, and it's a significant voting block, are going to be turned off by these candidates. And yes, it's going to be a good year for Republicans, just with the way it is environmentally. It's bad for Democrats. Mm -hmm. But these sorts of candidates in these big races... uh, can affect uh, these significant voting blocks, and it could be helpful for Democrats.
1: Ashika, yeah. uh, you and I have talked before about the the future of uh, the GOP and and the role that uh, more moderate Republicans or or libertarians might play in trying to kind of wrest the party away from the rest of that. I wonder what you make of that right now given the things that we're seeing, especially here in states like Michigan, that, that there, isn't, uh, there isn't an alternative that's popping up that is attracting as many people uh, as the Trump wing of the party is?
4: Yeah, first, back to your uh, previous caller. I mean, what I heard him say was that he liked the message and he didn't like the messenger hmm. that Donald Trump was right. Mm-hmm. And but if he find if there's a responsible Republican who's you know more truthful than Donald Trump is who embraced the same message, you know, he would be she would be competitive and that actually worries me quite a bit because what we are seeing right now is a dynamic in the Republican party and this goes to your question where. You know, on at the level of agenda, you have a lot of conservative, right-wing Republicans who are trying to out-Trump Trump. So in Florida, you have uh, Rick DeSantis, who is doubling down on some of the, you know, very irresponsible messaging on the COVID uh, vaccine. Who is, uh, you know, just passed this don't don't say gay bill, which has some pretty draconian components to it and so what you're seeing is a dynamic in the republican party of you know becoming more extreme on the agenda and that's worrisome and so what can moderate republicans and libertarians do to counter this you know i'm like in i'm at this stage i'm a long-term optimist but a short-term pessimist <laughs> i think we just have to keep hammering that some of the issues that uh, the extreme, you know, right is pushing, are frankly, like not based on, uh, on you know, sound economic reasoning, sound political reasoning. For instance, immigration has been turned into this boogeyman when it has been overwhelmingly good for this country. And we have to keep sort of messaging that. I think we have to play the long game. Uh, you know, we have to also play the long game on how, you know, minorities are not a threat to this country, that uh, minorities, uh, you know, some of their demands are, uh, you know, valid. Uh, Some issues that progressives are raising are valid, even if we question their means. Some of them are extreme tactics we may not agree with. So I think that's kind of the role that libertarians and Republicans have to, moderate Republicans have to play um, you know, uh, in the short term, I think it's up to Democrats to be actually try and remain the responsible party, right? Yeah. Like even as the right is tearing down institutions and sowing distrust, Democrats have to really conduct themselves in a much more above the board way, yeah. and that's hard. I mean, yeah. the political dynamic is it's, hard. It's,
1: it's it. very hard. You, I mean, it's... you want yeah. yeah. Do you want to win business. or do you want to be right? Yeah. Um, right. I mean, exactly. A lot of that. I, I, you know, I'm so sorry to have to. I a lot about what
4: is, this is going to do to Democrats. Too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, I would love to continue this conversation, of course, with both of you. But Gunnar Raymar and Sheikha thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today.
2: Thank you for having me. Thanks.